My Seven Chakras, episode 95. Happiness is your nature. It's not wrong to desire it. What's wrong is seeking it outside when it is inside. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's happening, action takers? AJ here, and you are listening to My 7 Chakras, your source for actionable wisdom that will expose you to new ideas, thoughts, and possibilities to help you face a brave new world. Now, Action Tribe, I may not know you personally, but sitting here in my chair and staring at my computer screen, I do know this for sure, that you are a different breed. You have made a decision not to stay where you are, and you are committed to making your vision come true. So for that, I salute you because the single reason why I release these episodes three days in a week is you. And even if I'm able to make a difference in just one person's life today, just one, I'll be really, really happy. Now to thank you for being such an awesome action taker and listening to this show without fail, I've put together a gift for you. Out of the 90 inspirational quotes shared by the featured guests on the show, I've handpicked the top 27 inspirational quotes and put all of them in a beautiful PDF document that I'm sure that you will love. Again, this is a free download as a thank you for being such an awesome listener. To access this gift, head on over to my7chakras.com slash 27 download. Once again, that's my S-E-V-E-N-C-H-A-K-R-A-S.com slash 27 download. So download your gift, read the quotes daily, get inspired and take action. And Action Tribe, I am proud to bring you our featured guest for today, Michael Taft. So Michael, are you ready to inspire? Oh yes, AJ. You know, I find a lot of things uh, personally inspiring every day. So if I can even share a few of those, hopefully that will inspire your listeners. Wonderful. So Michael Taft is a meditation teacher, best-selling author, and neuroscience junkie. As a mindfulness coach, he specializes in secular, science-based mindfulness training in groups, corporate settings, and one-on-one sessions. Michael is the author of several books, including The Mindful Geek and Non-Dualism, A Brief History of a Timeless Concept, Ego, which he co-authored, as well as the editor of such books as Hardwiring Happiness by Rick Hansen and the upcoming The Science of Enlightenment by Shinzen Young. Michael, I've given our action tribe a short intro, but feel free to take about a minute and tell us a bit more about you. You know, AJ, what I'd love to share with people is that I teach mindfulness because it really is personally the tool I use every single day to help make my life better more fascinating, more interesting, richer, deeper, more pleasant, and generally better in every way. I began meditating about 35 years ago, and I'll talk later about how that happened. But since that time, I've just found meditation to be my favorite go-to practice for improving everything in life. And so when I get to share that with people, which I do every day. 
it really brings me a lot of joy. I love to be able to share with others the wonderful practice that is meditation and how much it's really helped me and so many people that I know. So Michael, I can't wait to jump into the main portion of today's show. But before that, we need to get into a space of focus, mindfulness and learning. And we usually do that with the help of some carefully chosen words. So Michael, what is your favorite inspirational quote? And give us one example of how you apply this quote to your life. Well, it's a hard choice, AJ. There's so many wonderful quotes, but the one that is speaking to me most deeply lately is a quote from Ramana Maharshi, the uh, wonderful South Indian saint and meditation master. And the quote says, happiness is your nature. It's not wrong to desire it. What's wrong is seeking it outside when it is inside. So that quote to me is, very self-explanatory. We spend so much time trying to change our external circumstances so that we'll feel better. And it turns out that it's much more powerful to work on changing your internal circumstances, your own insides, your relationship to the whole world around you, to other people, and even to yourself. That's where you have the real leverage and that's where you can find actual happiness. Wonderful. So happiness is in our nature. What's wrong is seeking it outside when in actuality, it stems from inside. That's so true. That's so profound. Action Tribe, no matter how much we try, no matter how many efforts we make, we can change things around us. But there's only a limit to how much we can change and then draw happiness from that. But what we can control is what is within. And when we learn that, that happiness stream is always streaming towards you and it'll make you even more happy day by day. So thanks a lot for that, Michael. Yeah, you know, I just want to add, I remember this old Indian proverb where it said that you can't cover the world in leather, but you can wear shoes. And to me, that's exactly the same idea. No matter what you do, no matter how much you try to control the world around you, Mm -hmm. something's always going to go wrong. Someone's always going to do something you don't like. You just can't make the world a perfectly happy place for yourself. But you can make your own insides a perfectly happy place by working in that direction. Wonderful. Thanks a lot for sharing. Now, let's dive in. What inspired you to write your book, The Mindful Geek? Well, that's very interesting. You know, my background in meditation is in spiritual traditions. And I did spend a lot of time in India in various uh, temples and retreats and also in Japan doing quite a bit of meditation over the years. And what I found is that it was very difficult to translate these um, traditions into a modern secular context in America. And at the same, you know, these traditions didn't speak directly to the kinds of people I was working with. Uh, Tech company employees in modern Silicon Valley were not that interested in uh, traditional practices. And yet I knew from my experience that they could really benefit from meditation. At the same time, I had been spending the last many years studying the science of meditation and the science of psychology and neurology and uh, various neuroscience research. And 
that was beginning to give me a whole new view about how meditation worked, about the benefits of mindfulness, and to rethink how this could be taught. And so then I got, it was just lucky, it was a wonderful coincidence, I got to um, begin teaching at Google, um, teaching mindfulness at Google and leading retreats for Google staff. And as I was working with them and honing this presentation of mindfulness and meditation in a modern secular context, it just came to me that I myself have geeky qualities and I'm teaching these world-class brilliant geeks and they're learning to be mindful in an entirely new way, uh, in a very non-traditional way. And uh, from that work, and from my own experience and interest in neuroscience, I suddenly got the inspiration for The Mindful Geek, and that's where the book came from. So it's a whole new understanding of mindfulness and meditation from this secular, very non-spiritual take or viewpoint. Wonderful. So you mentioned that your background is in spiritual traditions. You spend time in India and Japan as well. But at a certain point, you found it difficult to translate those traditions into the modern context, the modern secular context. And you didn't stop there. You did some more research, especially in neuroscience and modern research. And you got a new view into this space and how you could spread this knowledge, especially to people uh, working at tech companies where they have so many goals, they want to change the world, but how do you teach them how to meditate and how to be mindful, right? And that's where your focus currently is? That's correct. Wonderful. Now, for someone new to this topic, what is mindfulness meditation exactly? In its simplest formulation, we can say that mindfulness meditation involves paying attention to your everyday sensory experience non-judgmentally moment by moment. That's the basic definition. And I find that definition to be very useful. We're just going to pay attention to what's going on in our senses. We're going to pay attention to that um, very carefully in the present moment, moment by moment. And we're going to do it with a kind of openness and acceptance, a non-judgmental stance so that we're not trying to get certain experiences and we're not trying to reject certain other experiences. Instead, there's a kind of matter of fact, it is what it is stance or attitude towards whatever is arising in the senses. So that's the very basic understanding of mindfulness. Wonderful. So you mentioned that it's paying attention to your everyday sensory experience, non-judgmentally. And I heard this quote a couple of weeks back or a month back actually about the idea of being mindful and the person says if you're praying to God pray if you're cutting vegetables cut vegetables and if you're washing something just wash that you know and to just be in the moment and not to think about anything else or anyone else at that very moment Yes, that's a traditional and very powerful understanding of mindfulness. In Japanese Zen tradition, they call it chop wood, carry water, mm. meaning if you're chopping wood, chop wood. If you're carrying water, carry water. And this sounds very simple and almost like it's not a practice at all. True. But if you really give your attention to the sensory experience of, as you said, doing the dishes or 
sitting at your desk or taking a walk or shopping or driving the car, whatever you're doing all day long, if you really keep bringing yourself back, remembering to come into the present moment, that is mindfulness. And it's uh, a very powerful practice. Wonderful. Now, moving on, I know that your focus is science-based mindfulness. So, what does research and science have to say about the benefits of meditation? Now, if you could break them down into short-term and then long-term benefits as well. Right. So, this is a very gigantic topic True. and hard to cover, but I will at least delve into a little bit of it. Um, first and foremost, mindfulness will help you relax. It's proven to um, be very beneficial for reducing stress. In America, one of the, and uh, Canada, one of the biggest organizations is called Mindfulness Based Stress Reduction. And that's the whole idea. Being mindful helps you to reduce your stress. And that's been uh, very true in my own life, and it's true in the life of my clients and students, and uh, it's been proven scientifically. Another thing that mindfulness will do for you is it will help you to concentrate. Concentration is a skill. It's something that we think of as being born with good concentration or born with bad concentration or having ADHD or not having ADHD, but actually it's a skill that you can learn. And as you learn to concentrate through mindfulness, this ability to pay attention, this ability to focus on what you're doing becomes stronger and stronger and stronger over time. And as far as we can tell, there's virtually no limit to this. You can just get better and better at concentrating. And mindfulness will really help you do this. So that's two things. A couple others that I'll cover. One is it helps you to be more creative. Thinking outside the box is the hallmark of creativity. Thinking of new, um, thinking of old situations in new ways is how we become creative. And mindfulness has been shown to dramatically improve this kind of out of the box thinking. And then the last one I'll cover is uh, what's normally called emotional intelligence. And this is my favorite one, actually. Mindfulness is so good at helping you to know what you're feeling. Uh, which increases your intuition. It's very good at helping you to deal with difficult emotions. So if you have anxiety or depression, mindfulness can really help you cope with that more effectively and even relieve a lot of the symptoms. And then thirdly, in the emotional intelligence department, mindfulness will really help you in your relationships with other people. Your love relationships or your work relationships or your friendships can all be improved because it turns out that the better you understand your own emotions, it helps you to understand other people's emotions as well. And so you can get along with them more easily. So all of these are just some of the benefits of mindfulness that have been uh, shown in research. Wonderful. So those are many benefits. And as you mentioned, this is just the tip of the iceberg because there are numerous benefits associated with mindfulness. You mentioned it helps you relax, helps you concentrate, helps you focus, become more creative, helps you know what you're feeling, tap into your intuition and also once you are in charge of your emotions, you know how you feel, you're going to be better in terms of your relationships as well. And I just like to add that no wonder that companies like Google really want their employees to learn how to meditate and see the benefits. 
That's right. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, that's right, AJ. Let's take a few steps back. How did you first get exposed to meditation and mindfulness? Let's hear that story. So this is a long time ago in the uh, mid-70s. I lived in Michigan then and I was a teenager in high school and I was experiencing very bad bouts of anxiety. Mm-hmm. The kind of crippling anxiety where you, for example, can't leave your room for a day and so on. It was very severe. And I just wasn't finding any help with that. I didn't know where to turn to get any relief from this. It was very unpleasant. And um, it seemed to me that there was no help available. But I had heard of this thing called meditation. It was after all the 70s. And so that idea was out there in the culture. And somehow or another, I just got this hunch or hint that maybe meditation would help me with my anxiety. And I didn't have a teacher and I didn't even have a good book, but I, and there was no internet back then, but I figured it out enough to teach myself how to do it. And sure enough, uh, with just a little bit of practice, it began to relieve my anxiety dramatically. And after that, I was hooked. There's nothing like you know, seeing immediate results to really turn you on and get you involved in something. And for me, the the results were immediate. So even though it didn't make my anxiety instantly go away, it certainly made it uh, much easier to cope with and much, uh, and it reduced the symptoms quite a bit right away. And so that was just amazing. So that was about 35 years ago. I've been meditating ever since. Wonderful. And with that, you've shared another benefit of meditation is the release of anxiety. If somebody is facing anxiety or does not know how to solve that issue, then that person can really turn to meditation and have that problem solved as well. Now, let's talk about a person listening to the show right now. Let's say a mom who might be doing a nine-to-five job juggling multiple responsibilities in addition to the job like picking up kids from school, household activities or meeting friends and the list goes on. What advice do you have for this person who wants to embark on a practice of meditation but feels like there is just no extra time? This is the most common question that I get. Everyone feels like they want to do meditation but there's just no time for it. And, you know, there's an old Zen joke about that, which I'll just tell you right now, which is if you can meditate for 20 minutes a day, that's really good, unless you don't have time to do 20 minutes, in which case you should meditate for an hour a day. (laughs) Uh, And in a way, that's true. It's um, the case that the more stressed you are, Uh, the more you actually need the practice of meditation, even if it will take a little time out of your day. The amount of relief you'll get from that will uh, be worth the time you put into it. Uh, That being said, I understand that people are just unbelievably swamped and have very, very little time. So what I would say to that person is if you can spend five minutes, if you can spend 10 minutes a day, just five or 10 minutes in your bed before you leave your room in the morning or in your bed, no matter how tired you are, before you go to sleep at night or even in your car once it's parked before you go into your job in the morning. Some place where you just have a little bit of openness, a little moment of pause. If you can spend five or 10 minutes really focusing on mindfulness meditation 
you will be very glad you did. Mm-hmm. If you don't have time to meditate for 20 minutes, then you probably need to meditate for one hour. I love that. And it really highlights the importance of meditation in one's life. Uh, we've noticed that it has so many benefits associated with it. But again, action taker, I know that this might be a new space to you, or maybe you haven't meditated a lot in the past. Maybe you've tried and you face challenges, but keep it going. Try meditation and try to introduce it into your daily practice, even if it's, even if it's for just five minutes just after you wake up or just before you're going to sleep. Try it out. See how it works. And based on you know people's prior experiences, you'll definitely learn that it helps your life. That's right, AJ. And I would like to add that what we're talking about here is five or 10 minutes of formal practice with your eyes closed doing nothing else. However, there's also the possibility of doing mindfulness in action. So like what we were describing earlier in the program where you're being mindful of doing the dishes, being mindful of driving, being mindful of doing your work and so on. And that means that you can actually be practicing mindfulness many, many hours a day mm-hmm. once you get a little bit good at it. And it's this mindfulness in action or mindfulness in motion, as we call it, that can really begin to amplify the effects, the positive effects of the practice in your life. Wonderful. Now, this beautifully transitions into my next question, which is, what are some of the mistakes that people commonly make when trying to meditate? There's two big ones. One is the idea that your thoughts are supposed to stop. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, many people have um, negative or difficult thinking, and it's understandable that you would want that to go away. Um, another condition is that many people uh, have so much to do and they're just laying in bed at night instead of sleeping, just thinking and thinking and thinking about what they have to do tomorrow. And it's very understandable that you would want that to stop. However, in mindfulness, stopping that isn't actually the goal. It often does stop or often does slow down as a result. But I hear people get very discouraged when they first start because they think their thoughts are going to suddenly cease. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the case. Um, Instead, what happens is you are able to calm down, you're able to settle and relax, and, and then your mind begins to relax also. It may not go to a place where you're not thinking at all, but it will go to a much more relaxed condition. And so it's not reasonable to expect that your thoughts are just going to stop suddenly because you started meditating. So I don't want people to get discouraged if that's the case, that they're still thinking after they've been meditating for a while. You'll still be getting the benefits and you'll still be relaxing. So, um, And even the negative thinking becomes less potent, less negative, and more infrequent. So there's a lot of benefit there. Um, So that's number one. Uh, Number two is that people um, have this idea that they're going to sit down and sort of turn off their mind and then go into a uh, blast off into a bliss state and sort of have kind of a giant explosion of joy and love and everything's going to be wonderful. And you know, AJ, sometimes that actually does happen when you sit and meditate. Um, But it's not the goal and it's not what happens every time, certainly. And it's not 
any way to judge your mindfulness practice if that's not happening, which again is something I hear from people. Oh, I didn't have an explosion of ecstasy when I meditated. And let's go back to the definition. It says that we're going to pay attention to our sensory experience moment by moment, non-judgmentally. And that's the important part, non-judgmentally. So even if the present moment is uncomfortable or tense or maybe even painful, we're going to sit with that and not judge it and instead have an open, accepting, matter-of-fact attitude and meditate on that. This is the hallmark of mindfulness meditation is that you're not trying to change external circumstances and you're not trying to change your own present moment experience. The idea is to sit non-judgmentally and very carefully with your own experience, very beautifully, like sit with it and just let it be there and be very curious and open about it. And when you're curious and open and non-judgmental about your present moment experience, guess what? Your present moment experience will start to become much better. So these are the two things, imagining that your thinking is going to stop and imagining that you're going to blast off into some kind of super ecstasy. These are the things that I find people um, getting real tripped up on when they first start. And I would just say, put those two ideas away. They're not helpful. So there you go, action takers. In case you've tried to meditate and you might be thinking that when you meditate, your thoughts are supposed to stop. Remember that that is not the goal. And again, you might have this idea that as soon as you sit in meditation, in the lotus pose, for example, you're going to experience a bliss state as if you're sitting in the Himalayas. So that also isn't the goal. While you might experience that, a lot of people do, but that's not the goal. The goal, the key is to be non-judgmental, to really be curious about what you're experiencing, to just embrace it, to experience it, and to not change your circumstances or your experiences. So with that in mind, I'm sure that our listeners will have a better perspective the next time they try to meditate. Thanks a lot, Michael. You're welcome, AJ. I find that this is one of the ways that they can begin having a better experience right away. Wonderful. Now, I'm sure by now that there is just one question in every person's mind is, how do I meditate? And I'm pretty sure that there are many techniques of meditation, but is there a simple meditation technique that you could walk us through? Yes, I want to show people a meditation technique that I think is very powerful and easy to do, and that is a little bit unusual. So are you ready for something a little unusual, AJ? I'm ready. Awesome. So, you know, the word mindfulness comes from a word in Sanskrit, smriti, right? That's the actual word, which Mm -hmm. is mindfulness, but it's also remembering. can also just mean remembering. And so I want to show people how to remember to be in the present moment. And it's a very simple technique. So the idea is to just do whatever you're doing right now. You don't need to sit down. You don't need to close your eyes. You don't need to breathe in any special way. But what you do need to do is wake up to the present moment. So I want you to just... Tune in to whatever you're doing, the sensory experience of whatever you're doing, and notice that it's happening in the present moment. If there is something you're doing with your hands, then really feel your hands. Really feel into the sensation of your arms and hands doing whatever you're doing. 
if you're looking around you, look really take the time to see what you're looking at. See the colors, see the shapes, see the textures of the world around you. And if you're listening to something outside or something around you, again, really take the moment, take a moment to listen. Listen clearly and carefully to what there is. Maybe the sounds are pleasant or unpleasant. Maybe what you're looking at is pleasant or unpleasant. But that's where the non-judgmentality comes in. Just let it be whatever it is. The important part is this remembrance, this tuning in to the present moment and remembering to inhabit it, remembering to be here. And the way to do that is by contacting your sensory experience non-judgmentally, moment by moment. So again, if you're sitting in a chair, really feel your butt and your legs in the chair. Feel your feet on the ground. Feel yourself breathing. Take the time to look at the room around you and notice the shapes, the colors, the textures, almost as if you're seeing it for the first time. This is the idea, and you can do it while you're doing anything. You can do it while you're dressing your kids in the morning. You can do it while you're taking a bath late at night before going to bed. You can do it in the middle of a busy work day. You just wake up to the present moment, non-judgmentally, through what's going on in your senses. Yeah, so give that a try. So thanks a lot for sharing your wisdom and stories, Michael. Now, for someone who is on the path of becoming healthier in mind, body, and soul. Is there a quick and easy health tip that you could share which could be implemented immediately? Sure, AJ. You know, I'm not a healer or a physician and I don't really do uh, medical stuff or healing stuff. But what I would say I find to be tremendously helpful is just the practice of quiet breathing. So being still for a moment, even just 10 seconds, even just 30 seconds, and simply breathing deeply and fully and being mindful of that full, deep breath. Again, being mindful means you're feeling your belly expanding with the in-breath. You're feeling your belly falling with the out-breath. You're feeling the air fill your lungs on the in-breath. You're feeling the air leave your lungs on the out-breath, and so on. Yes, so it's this slow mindful breath that I find is so healing for people. The main way it's healing is that it reduces stress. And as we all know, stress is a major cause or um, contributing factor to a lot of physical conditions. And so just simply taking a moment to have a deep breath uh, a few times a day can really, really help improve um, your healing. Wonderful. Thanks a lot for sharing that powerful health tip. We'll have that up in the show notes, which can be accessed, dear listeners, by going to my 7 slash 95. Now, to solve a problem, here are three questions to ask yourself. First, what could I do? Second, what could I read? And third, who could I ask? This is a profound quote by Jim Rohn. Action takers, what really stood out for me in this quote is the power of asking questions. Sometimes when we face a challenge or a problem. We might feel like a deer in front of headlights. We might feel dazed or paralyzed. But asking a powerful question has the effect of jerking us out of that zombie-like state sometimes into 
problem solving mode and secondly this quote teaches us that the solution to the problem exists we might not have it with us at that very point but it does exist which we can find out by reading books or by asking someone seeking help or by finding a mentor so michael i'm sure that you faced your share of challenges as well so take us back to a time when you faced a major challenge firstly what was your approach and then how did you overcome it yeah aj you know this one happened not so long ago a few years ago it was a difficult time a close friend of mine had passed away and i was dealing with the grief from his death and at the same time the startup i was working for here in the bay area failed and so that was a very difficult difficult time both on the emotional level and also on the economic level my work up to that point had been going very very well and then um another this is one of the strange synchronicities of that moment was that a person a major person at the startup also passed away and so uh the startup ended up failing and then i was left without an income and without any work and um also you know dealing with this uh death of my friend and so i needed to both get my act together internally and also begin generating uh income uh with a brand new business and so the way i dealt with that is the way that i've dealt with everything for all these years both taking action but taking action from a place not of fear and anxiety and worry but instead trying to take action from a place of calm and wisdom and the way that i did that is by meditating i dug into my meditation practice i sat quietly i breathed and i was aware of the present moment non-judgmentally my sensory experience in the present moment non-judgmentally over and over even when my present moment sensory experience was a lot of worry a lot of grief a lot of fear which would be normal and natural for anyone in that situation i just sat with it and kept accepting it and breathing and opening as well as doing some other things such as uh working out which i find to be very helpful and also meeting with other friends we need our friends around us and our loved ones around us to really help us to go through these situations but it was that meditation that really helped to inspire me and equip me to go out in the world and create a whole new business of uh teaching mindfulness one on one to clients and also in large corporate settings and to also uh write my new mindfulness book i had been writing books all along but this uh, particular book had been waiting for years and it was just time and so by using meditation by digging into my practice i was able to begin to both recover emotionally quickly and also build a successful business at the same time as well as writing a best-selling book so that was a a major proof for me personally besides all the people i work with it was a proof personally that this stuff really delivers so looking back now maybe in just one sentence what is that one major life lesson that our listeners can take away from your story you know inside you there is a place of calm stillness and 
any kind of wise action you're going to take is going to come from that place of calm stillness within. Sometimes you need to go out there and do something fast. Sometimes you need to do something just from a place of of um, quick action. But there's always a sense of quiet stillness somewhere deep inside that can help guide you to do that more effectively and more creatively and joyfully and also with a little bit more wisdom. That is available to you always. Well, thanks a lot for sharing your personal story. You mentioned that a close friend of yours had passed away and the startup that you were working for also failed. And that meant a challenge, not only emotionally, but financially as well. But uh, you decided to stand up and take action by going back to your roots, by meditating non-judgmentally, working out and meeting friends, your support system. And I think that's really powerful because you really showed us a three-pronged approach to getting out of a challenge. I know action takers, it is never easy to face a challenge. And I would not be in a position at this point to comprehend what are the type of challenges you are facing. But if you do these three things, meditate, exercise, and meet friends, and form and build that support system, you can definitely build that momentum that can lead you to seeing some good results. And action takers, now as we collect these life lessons and become wiser and bolder, we might come across a challenge that seems totally unsurmountable, something that we have never come across before. And in such a situation, you might feel like you've reached your human capacity. In such a situation, say to yourself, it is possible. It's possible. It might not be easy. It might not be instant, but it's possible. As long as you have trust in the power of the universe, because as Benjamin Lotter once said, don't settle for your human capacity, live up to your God-given potential. So my question to you, Michael, is have you found your life's true calling? And if yes, what is your life's calling? Oh, definitely, AJ. I feel like my life's calling is sharing this gift of meditation with other people. Nothing fills me with a deeper and richer sense of meaning and just joy than uh, working with another person and seeing their life get bigger and better and more fulfilling through the practice of meditation. It's really, really wonderful. Wonderful. So was there ever a magical moment in your life, maybe a eureka moment beyond which you're pretty confident your life was about to change? Yeah, it goes all the way back to the early to mid-90s. Um, I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and I was a strong meditator and had been going abroad quite a bit and just needed some work. I was back from abroad and just needed a job. And so I looked at the, um, back then, the newspaper want ads for a job and and I didn't find anything. And one day I was walking down the street in downtown Boulder and saw a company with an angel on the door. And the company was called Sounds True. And so I saw, uh, I think it was on the door actually, but I saw somehow that they were looking for people to ship boxes. They needed help in the shipping department. So I went in and I applied for that job and I started shipping boxes in the in the uh, shipping department, it sounds true. But then within uh, a very short time, just a few weeks, 
um, I became a copywriter and also began working on um, acquisitions. So listening to prospective new authors and uh, presenters for Sounds True. And very soon after that became the editorial director of the company. I just realized when I started listening to these spiritual teachers and writing copy about what they were teaching and what their programs were, that I was in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. And this began my career of not only helping to publish or even publishing myself meditation teachings and spiritual teachings and teachings to help people, but also began to show me my own deep, deep, deeper interest, not only in meditating myself, but helping others to discover that. So it was that very odd moment of saying, hey, that place has an angel on the door. I think I'm just going to go in there and apply for a job that utterly and forever changed my life. Well, thanks a lot for sharing that inspirational story. And with that, we've reached the wisdom round, the final round for today's show, which is a rapid fire round. So are you ready? Sure. Great. So in retrospect, what is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received is to always go back to basics. And I got this advice from the senior copywriter at Sounds True, Devin Christensen. That was back then. Um, and the idea was to... Whenever you get stuck, go back to basics. Don't try to get fancy. Don't try to do something tricky. Just go back to basics. And so this works for everything in life. If you're really stuck, if you really need a way out, do something simple and powerful. And again, of course, this applies to meditation very much so. Come back to just your, what could be simpler than your everyday sensory experience? But coming back to that, will really help you. Mm -hmm. So name a personal habit that you count on for staying healthy. You know, my current uh, girlfriend is been a, uh, was a physical trainer in the past, and she's very, very dedicated to exercise. And I love to exercise, and we tend to exercise together. And I find that uh, a half an hour to an hour a day of getting your heart rate up and really working your body, nothing is better for staying healthy. We're just far too sedentary. We sit too much. And walking or running or exercising in some way is tremendously helpful for staying healthy. Hmm. So, Michael, what is your morning ritual like? What do you do during the first two hours of your day? Um, you know, I would say that my morning ritual doesn't look much like a ritual from the outside. In the past, I've been heavily involved in ritual and, you know, I really like rituals, but lately it looks from the outside like nothing ritual at all. But actually, as I'm laying in bed in the morning, I'm doing a meditation and then I get up and I go have my tea or coffee and begin my work. And the idea behind this is to just take things in a very orderly manner and one thing at a time, check in with meditation, and that might be short or long, but I check in with it, and then just begin to um, go about my day. I'm one of these people that likes to begin working very soon in the morning. Mm -hmm. So name a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners. You know, the book that I found most helpful over all these years is a pretty high-level, unusual book. It's called I Am That. I Am That by Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj. 
And this is a spiritual classic. It's been in print for something like 40 years. Mm -hmm. And it's a very deep, incredibly, wonderfully inspiring book about some of the more uh, profound aspects of meditation practice. So we're going to have all these linked up in the show notes. And Action Takers, the show notes for this episode can be accessed by visiting my S-E-V-A-N-C-H-A-K-R-A-S.com slash 95. That's my7chakras.com slash 95. So Michael, before we end today's session, what is that one thing or that one person that you're really grateful for? And also tell us the best way we can find you online. You know, the one thing I'm most grateful for, AJ, is all the teachers over the years who have pointed me in the right direction. And the right direction is always inward. It's That's the place where you have the most leverage over your life. It's re-engineering your own experience with yourself and the world. So I'm incredibly grateful to all those teachers, some of them known, some of them unknown, some of them uh, teachers and some of them just loved ones or friends or maybe even random people on the street. These people have uh, been truly inspiring, truly helpful, and I'm incredibly grateful for them. Finding me online is easy. Uh, just go to themindfulgeek.com. That's where uh, most of my t- uh, teaching materials are available. Uh, I have a lot of guided meditation audios there under themindfulgeek.com slash guided. And if people want a free copy of my book, The Mindful Geek, they could go to themindfulgeek.com slash chakras and put their email address in there. Now, I can only give away 50 of these for free, and they will be in the Kindle format, so you have to be able to read a Kindle ebook. But it's a free copy of The Mindful Geek, and that will help you if you are new to mindfulness meditation. So I hope you'll go to themindfulgeek.com slash chakras and um, apply to get a free book there. So there you go, action takers. If what you've spoken about today really intrigues you, you're really excited about taking that next step, then it's really simple. All you have to do is go to themindfulgeek.com slash chakras because the first 50 listeners who head on there and add their email id will get access to this book now this book is available on kindle which means that if you're using a smartphone you'll probably have to download the kindle app if you don't have it already but once you do then you can access and read this book and uh, really take the next step and as said earlier it's free so again first 50 listeners uh, the link is going to be there on the show notes as well. So, Michael, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking to us about the power of meditation and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thanks, AJ. It's been great to be here, and I really appreciate what you're doing. You are listening to My 7 Chakras. Go to mysevenchakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. Transform your life today.